Well, we are currently in a study of the uh, book of Hebrews. And uh, last Sunday, we examined uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 8. But we did not have time uh, to discuss the application of these verses to our lives today. So what I want us to do this morning is briefly review and briefly review what we discovered last Sunday in Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 8. Uh, if you were here, you remember that message was probably about a, an hour in length, uh, one of the longer messages that I've ever uh, given. Uh, some of that was due to the fact, as I mentioned, this is considered one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible to interpret. So I was very uh, deliberate. I was very intentional and methodical walking uh, through it. So if you were not here, uh, I would encourage you to go to the church's uh, website and uh, listen to the message uh, there. Uh, but uh, let's first read this portion of Scripture. I'm going to begin at Hebrews 5 because, as we saw last week, uh, this uh, section in Hebrews 6 is uh, connected uh, to the previous verses at the end of uh, chapter uh, 5. Uh, chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 11. It says, Concerning him, and that's referring to Jesus, concerning Jesus, uh, we have much to say. And, of course, he it, it was talking about having much to say about Jesus in his high priestly ministry as he sits at the right hand of the Father as our advocate, as our intercessor. Uh, our great and faithful high priest who we can come to to give grace and mercy in our time of need. He says, we have much more to say, and it's hard to explain why, because since you have become dull of hearing. So we see right off the bat, uh, this isn't going to be a real pleasant uh, passage. I mean, the, the, the writer has some deep concerns at this point uh, for this uh, church uh, made up of uh, Hebrew Christians. And he uh, says, for though, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, he's not talking about necessarily being formal teachers of God's Word. But he's simply saying, by this time, you should have grown far enough in your Christian life where you're learning from God's Word. And you have an excitement to share with others what you're learning and to impact others. Where it's not just about you, but it's about God and advancing His kingdom. So he says, by this time, you, you ought to be teachers. Uh, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. In other words, they've regressed in their spiritual lives. They've fallen into a state of immaturity, of uh, being adult babies in uh, God's uh, kindergarten, dealing still with the ABC blocks of the Christian faith. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In Hebrews 6, therefore, see that therefore connects. In light of what I've just said about you being dull of hearing, about being in a state of immaturity, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
And this we shall do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame, to public shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and, it's, and it ends up being burned. And more literally, it's end. In other words, the thorns and thistles are burned up. Now again, very brief review, just highlighting the things we discovered last Sunday. And follow in your sermon notes and look at that very first paragraph. Hebrews 6, 1 through 8, is the third of five warning passages that you find in the book. Remember the first warning passage was in the very early verses of Hebrews chapter 2. And the warning was against drifting from God's Word, neglecting God's Word. The second warning is found in chapters 3 and 4 about doubting God's Word which leads to unbelief and disobedience. And this third warning has to do about being dull towards God's Word, where you are hearing it, but you're not being a doer of God's Word. You're not acting on what you hear, which can be a very, very subtle deception where, you know, you're hearing, you're learning more about God's Word. So you have this notion, because I'm knowing more, learning more, I'm growing But the Bible is very, very clear. Growth is measured by action, by acting on God's Word, practicing God's Word, applying God's Word, maturing in God's Word. So maturity and growth has nothing to do with how much you know. It's how much you put into practice. Now, knowledge is important, but it's only important as you put it into practice. Now, continuing with your sermon notes, the text consists of three paragraphs. Hebrew 6, 1 through 8, consists of three paragraphs, verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 6, and verses 7 and 8. The leading thought is stated in the first paragraph in God's command. Let us press on to maturity, and then very important, and this we shall do what? If God permits. And we talked about how that is a shocking statement because it implies there would be occasions when God would not permit a believer to advance into maturity. And then that takes us to the second paragraph where we find God's warning about refusing to advancing spiritually and falling away from God. Uh, and, And as we'll see, the consequences of that. And then the third paragraph is God's illustration to clarify and reinforce the truth. Now look at the next paragraph. The interpretive key, the key to understanding this difficult passage concerning those who have fallen away and it being impossible to renew them again to repentance is the example in Hebrews 3 and 4 of the children of Israel in the wilderness, a redeemed people, a saved people, but who came under God's discipline and chastisement 
for the very thing that he's talking to the Hebrews about, about drifting, doubting, becoming dull towards God's Word. Hebrews 4.11 reads, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. And just pause right there. The rest that he's talking about is the rest that God gives His children who put their trust in Him in the midst of their lives and trials. When you trust, when you truly trust, the fruit of trust is rest as you truly put your reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. And he's referring to the example of the children of Israel. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. And, of course, that again is in the context of the example of the children of Israel. A redeemed people who failed to put their reliance in God, who stubbornly refused to trust God, and as a result disobeyed the Lord and knew chastisement and discipline. So in Hebrews 3 and 4, the author is referring to when the children of Israel, who due to their stubborn and prolonged unwillingness to trust God, disobeyed God by refusing to enter the promised land, which is recorded in Numbers 14. And the next paragraph in your notes sums up that failure and what it cost them. Despite being redeemed by God, and despite God's many blessings, Israel repeatedly refused to trust and obey God, culminating in their refusal to press on to the promised land. Although God forgave them for their unbelief and disobedience, God swore as a consequence of their repeated distrust and disobedience, He would not permit them to enter the promised land. And they would live the rest of their lives wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. When they tried to repent, we looked at all of this last week from Numbers 14, when they tried to repent and enter, the door was closed. Renewal to the promised land through repentance had become impossible for that generation. Now, the next paragraph summarizes how the Christian today, how you and I face the same peril. By not pressing on to maturity, the Christian faces the same peril of being consigned to live the rest of his life wandering aimlessly in a spiritual wilderness. A Christian cannot lose his salvation, but if a pattern develops of refusing to trust and obey God, there can be the loss of faith's rest in this life and eternal rewards in the next, with renewal through repentance being impossible. It is a serious matter to fall away from God by refusing to trust God who has done everything to prove worthy of our trust. In doing so, as the passage reads, we spurn the redemptive work of Christ and we expose Jesus as a result of our testimonies to public shame. Now, folks, here's the lesson. Now, this isn't in your notes. I'm just sort of a little commentary here before we move into the application portion. Here's the lesson that needs to be driven home. The Christian life, now hear me, hear me, and use this as an opportunity to evaluate your life. The Christian life is never stagnant. 
If you think a Christian can just, you know, be stagnant, just be on hold, you're terribly deceived and mistaken. Right now, you, you are going in one of two directions. You are either pressing forward into Christian maturity and becoming more like Jesus Christ. It is a process. So you're either pressing forward into maturity, becoming more like Jesus, or you are falling back into immaturity, becoming like a self-centered spiritual baby. Now, the warning in Hebrews 6, 1 through 8 is this. If you, as a Christian, if you fail to press on to maturity and you fall away from God through trust and dis- through distrust and disobedience, it will cost you dearly. It will cost you dearly. It will cost you the rest of faith, that peace that God desires to give you in the midst of life's trials. And it will leave you eaten up with the worry of unbelief. And then I guarantee what's going to happen at that point, you're either going to take matters into your own hands or you're just flat going to give up. But either way, you miss the valuable lessons that God desired to teach you to benefit your life. You lose the many blessings that God had provided for you, just like the children of Israel lost their inheritance in the promised land. Not to speak of the eternal rewards that you lose in the next life. And if you maintain this pattern of unbelief long enough, you too can come to the place like the children of Israel where you are consigned to live in a spiritual wilderness. A wilderness of your own making. Because the simple point is this. It's what we said earlier. What could God do more to demonstrate that He's worthy of our trust? There's nothing more that God could do. Just like there was nothing more he could do for the children of Israel. He had miraculously redeemed them from Egypt. He supernaturally delivered them from Pharaoh's armies by parting the Red Sea as they walked through on dry land. He gave them food from heaven. He gave them water from a rock. Yet they refused to put their reliance on God in life's trials instead of trust. They got eaten up with anxiety, demonstrated in their complaining, murmuring, selfish, ugly spirit. So this is a very, very serious passage. And we don't want to make the same mistake. Now look at the application. Turn on the back side of your notes. And then we'll look at this and then move right into the Lord's Supper. This is a warning passage. And by the way, let me just say, uh, make sure you're back next week. It it is fascinating to see how this author, uh, the writer of the book, that how he will go from this warning to this, the next verse is this tremendous encouragement to this congregation. I mean, you can see this man's love for this church. I mean, he's like a father. And he's going to rebuke his children when he, when he needs to. But bottom line, he's for his children. And he wants them to advance. So everything he's doing is doing for their good. And, and we'll see that next week. Now, what do you do with a warning where you heed it? 
which begins with some honest self-examination. Uh, so let me give you four questions to ask yourself. And, and what a wonderful time to do this as we enter a time celebrating the Lord's Supper because one of the commands that we're given concerning the Lord's Supper is that we are to what? Examine ourselves. To make sure that there is nothing between us and God. Nothing between us and another person. That we're right with God. That we are pressing forward into maturity. That we are giving Him the trust that He is worthy of. First question. Am I flirting with the peril of falling away from God and suffering the consequences of losing faith's rest in this life and eternal rewards in the next? Are you flirting with that peril? And folks, again, think about this. You cannot relive tomorrow. I mean yesterday. You can't relive. Every opportunity God gave you to put your trust in Him, you'll never have that opportunity again. And no matter what you're going through right now, God is allowing you to go through that to give you an opportunity to trust Him. To learn just how trustworthy He is, how reliant He is, and to grow your faith and your life in Him. And then, look right after that question. Remember, falling away from God is not a one-time refusal to trust and obey God. You know, a lot of people read that Numbers 14 passage. We looked at this last week. And they think, you know, just because of that failure simply to go to Kadesh Barnea to take that step, uh, that God so severely disciplined them. No, we saw in Numbers 14, remember he said, these people who have what? He says, who have spurned me these ten times. He says, there's, been, there's just been a, a, a repeated failure in this people's life to put their trust in me. Again, after I've done everything to prove worthy of their trust. And so there's nothing left but to let them have their way, own way. You don't want to trust me? Then have at it. Which takes you right into that wilderness. But again, it's very important to see, we're talking about a process that involves a long pattern of unbelief. Therefore, today, that's one of the emphasis in this book, especially in chapters 3 and 4. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, today, break the pattern. Amen? That's the purpose of this warning, to get your attention. See, there are so many believers they become content with the fact that their sins are forgiven and they have a home in heaven. And then they just sit back and relax. And, and the writer is saying, no, leave the elementary things about repentance and faith and press on to maturity where God is using you and you're, you're benefiting God's kingdom and you're contributing to God's kingdom. That you're not just a spectator, but you become a participant in His work, a participant in the life of the church, in the life of God's people, a participant in advancing the gospel into a lost world. So break the pattern today. And again, I can't think of a more perfect time to break that pattern than celebrating the Lord's Supper as you would return to Him in faith and obedience. Look at the second question. And this is a good one in terms of evaluation. Are there more thorns than fruit being produced in my life? Notice thorns, I put unbelief, complaining, and selfishness. Because I'm telling you, when you look at the children of Israel, 
as they refuse to put their reliance on God in life's trials, that's all you basically see. You see unbelief, you see doubting, you see worry, you see complaining, you see murmuring, you just see a very self-centered attitude. Well, what are you seeing more in your life? Just be honest. What? Just look at this last week. Just go back to Monday and just review the last six days. Has there been more unbelief, complaining, selfishness, murmuring, worry in your life? Or can you honestly say, not that you've arrived, but you can honestly say that I'm growing in the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. And what are those fruits of the Spirit? They are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, growth is becoming more like Jesus Christ. In other words, the question you need to ask yourself, are there more thorns in my life, or can I honestly say that today, and looking back on my Christian journey, that today I am a more loving person than I was before. That I'm a more joyful person, a more peaceful person, a more patient person, a more kind person, a better person, a faithful person, gentle, a person who has more self-control. Again, not that you've arrived, but you can look back and see, yes, I'm making progress. Yes, I'm maturing. Yes, there are the definite evidences of God at work in my life and doing what only He can do through His power as I put my reliance and my trust in Him. And uh, look at the third question. That's a good one. Am I experiencing, and this may be the best one in terms of telltale sign, am I experiencing the rest of faith or the worry of unbelief in life's trials? Listen to me, folks. It's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to really trust Him. And the fruit of trust is rest. If there's one thing that is beyond doubt in the book of Hebrews, it is that. Trust brings rest. Unbelief brings what? Worry. And that's just a reality. And you, we just need to swallow that pill. If I'm struggling with worry and anxiety, my fundamental problem is a trust problem with God. I mean, do I really believe that there's a great, faithful high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father in that place of supreme authority who's in control of all things, who loves Andy, who loves me? Do I really believe that? And that he's committed to causing everything to work together for my good? Do I really believe that he's going to have the grace and mercy to give me in time of need, whether in health or whether in sickness? You know, sort of like what Paul said in Philippians 1, this is my earnest hope and expectation, that I would not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ, even now as always, would be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, in the good things and the bad things. So the evidence that a person is truly trusting God, relying on God, he's going beyond, oh yeah, I believe God's there, but I'm trusting him, I rely, is rest. And the evidence that you're not is worry. 
And worry is rooted in unbelief. Worry is rooted in doubt about God. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that we're not going to battle with worry and anxiety. But the thing that you need to see, here's the most important thing. Think of whatever you're going through right now. Let's make it very personal. What's the most difficult thing you're going through right now? Have you seen that this primarily is an opportunity for you to learn to trust God? And that's a choice that you make. You say, God, I choose. It's sort of like, remember Abraham? Great example. In Romans chapter 4. Abraham said that he looked at the deadness of his body. Remember, their AIDS. I mean, this was a human impossibility for them to conceive a child. He said he looked at his body. He said he looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb. I mean, he looked at reality. And he could have easily just shrunk back in unbelief and fear and anxiety and say, oh, this is impossible. And he even struggled with that. Remember, they had the failure of thinking that God would fulfill the promise through Hagar. So there's a struggle. There's a growth here. But then he makes this statement. Yeah, I looked at my dead body. I looked at her dead womb. But then he makes this incredible statement. It says, he says, yet he refused. He refused to stagger in unbelief, but he gave glory to God, believing God was able to perform what he promised. In other words, he made a choice to put his trust in God, just like we have to make that trust in the midst of our struggles. And then look at the uh, fourth cup. What is God warning to me right now? I mean, just be sensitive, be tender. I believe in a loving God who loves His children, who doesn't play games with us. I believe God is here. I believe He's present. I believe He's speaking. So what is God convicting you about? What is God warning you about? What is God wanting you to do for your benefit, for your good? Because He loves you, and He desires only His best for you. Now, follow on in the application the opposite of falling away, the opposite of falling away, and its antidote is what? Pressing on to maturity, which we saw in Hebrews 5.14 involves three things. This goes back to a message, uh, two messages ago. What does maturity involve? Pressing on to maturity. First, nourishing food, receiving God's Word. He says, but solid food is for the mature. Not only nourishing food, but if you're going to grow up, there's got to be sufficient exercise. That's practicing God's Word. He says, who because of practice... And then, wise decisions. You have to apply God's Word. It says they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So, in light of that, three last questions. How would I describe my intake of nourishing food? Ask yourself, how would you describe your intake of nourishing food? Is the only time you get in the Word of God on Sunday morning... And you really think you're going to mature? I mean, listen, we just need to be honest here. I'm not, this is a struggle that we're all in. I, I, I don't want to be too harsh. But at the same time, I want to be very, very direct. Growth is a reciprocal process. But the simple point is, God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. If Andy Merritt is not growing, I guarantee you one thing. It's not because of God's failure. It's because of my failure. Is because my failure to co- cooperate, to reciprocate. It's my failure to appropriate the means that He's given me for growth. And His primary means is the Word of God. 
to feed on the word of God. Like Jeremiah, thy words were found and I did eat them and they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So be honest. How would you describe your intake of nourishing food? And by the way, this is why Sunday school classes are so important. This is why getting involved in a small group is so important. A disciple group is so important. This church provides opportunities for your spiritual growth. We can't force you to avail yourselves of those opportunities, but I would pray that you would see the importance of plugging into these opportunities for your spiritual advancement and growth. Then number two, how would I describe my exercise program for practicing God's Word? In other words, choosing to exercise trust and obedience. Just to go back this last week, these last six days, just relive the last six days. Life circumstances, life's trials. Did you see them as an opportunity to trust God, to obey God, even when you were maybe not understanding and perplexed? And you made that choice like Abraham. I'm going to refuse to stagger in unbelief. I'm not going to fall back in immaturity. No, I'm going to choose to believe God. I'm going to choose to trust God and put my confidence in Him and wait on Him and as He leads me to obey Him. And then number three, what are evidences in my life? What evidences in my life show I am a person who sees life from God's perspective, who sees my circumstances and trials through the filter of God's Word and then responds with wise decisions in harmony with the spirit and truth of God's Word. See, that's, that's a mature person. See, a mature person comes to life, and whether it's relating to his marriage partner, whether it's relating to his children, whether it's being an employee or employee, whether it's going through a sickness or a relational difficulty, no matter what the trial might be. See, the mature believer brings all of that through the filter of God's Word. You know, what are the lessons God is trying, what's He trying to teach me in this? Where are my opportunities to trust Him? Where are my opportunities to obey Him? What would God have me do in this decision? Where you're discerning and making wise decisions, and not just reacting in life, just off the scuff, but you're pausing and looking to God, looking to His Word. So I pray that as we enter Lord's Supper, you will take this opportunity, if need be, to break the pattern. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. As I make my way down, I'll ask the elders and uh, deacons and uh, others if they would get in their places Now, as we go in the Lord's Supper, in light of what we just shared, I'm suggesting this is your opportunity, if need be, to return. To Jesus is your first love, to break the pattern. Now, here in the Lord's Supper, we find the motivation to do so, don't we? He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 12 says, by the mercies of God, when I look back at who Jesus is and what he did for me, 
It can only be one appropriate response. It's to present my body, my soul, my spirit, a living sacrifice. Not being conformed, squeezed into this world's mold, into this world's character and conduct and values and perspectives, but be transformed through the renewal of my mind. How? Through God's Word. That I might prove what? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in all things. So I don't know how you can celebrate this table and not be motivated to return. And that's why the writer in Hebrew says, if you fail to do so, you're spurning the redemptive work of Christ as a believer. You're putting him to public shame through your testimony because he's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your attention, your affections, your allegiance, all that you are, all that you possess. But folks, here at this table, we not only find the motivation, we find the empowerment. Jesus is the host of this table. We're to feed on Him. We can do nothing apart from Jesus, but praise God. I can abide in Jesus as the branch abides in the vine. And as I abide in Him, I'm able to draw from His life from that sap of the Holy Spirit that provides that inner strength to give Christ preeminence and to follow Him. So again, as we celebrate the Lord's table, I invite you to return as you partake, knowing that the motivation is here, knowing that the empowerment is here, and that God loves you. And that's the only reason He would issue such a stern warning like this, because he wants you to know his very, very best. And we're told on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after he had broken it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup, and he says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. That blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. That blood sprinkled in the heavenly places to secure you 24-7 access to me. And remember, when you come to him, when you come to this table, he became one of us. He understands our weakness. He understands human frailty. He understands our struggle with worry and anxiety and unbelief. He had that battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he refused to shrink back in unbelief because of his love for you, and he pressed forward to the cross, just like we're being commanded to press forward to maturity because he's worthy of that. Father, bless now as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that bore our sins, that took our punishment, that took our judgment for Jesus who became what we are so we can become what he is. And Father, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood that washes us, that blood that renews us, that blood this morning that gives us access to your presence where we're even told we can boldly come, confidently come, not in our own righteousness, but that righteousness that we're clothed with in Christ. And so, Father, I pray we would come. We would come in honesty and in transparency, and where needed, we would come to break that pattern of unbelief and to return to you and to give you the trust 
that you are worthy of and that we would no longer spurn your redemptive work and put you to public shame, but we would renew our love and our lives to you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I think you understand the uh, deacons at each of the uh, sections. They will signal you when your uh, row is to come and you exit this direction and you return the opposite direction. And then you just come to the men who will serve and uh, you'll dip your bread in the juice and partake right here and then go back to your seat. So, uh, Lord, bless you. And again, may God give us grace to be obedient to him now at this time. set the captive free. You're the king who came to serve, and you're the God who washed our feet. You're the one who took our burdens, and you bled upon the cross. In your kindness and your mercy, you became the way for us, forgetting all our sins. Remember all your promises, you are amazing, more than amazing, forever our God, you're more than enough.
Last couple of weeks, we've looked at a very uh, stern warning in your word, a warning that's rooted in your love for us, in your desire for us not to miss all that you have prepared for us. And Father, also, I, I don't want this church family to think in giving this message that I'm holier than they are. I cannot think of anyone that's probably struggled more with unbelief and insecurity and failure than I have. But Father, I thank You that in the midst of those insecurities, in the midst of my struggle with unbelief and failure, there's always been access to You. And I thank You that there's never need to fear coming to You because You already paid the penalty of our sin. And we do not remain in jeopardy. But we come to that great faithful high priest. Our brother. One who is made like we are. Who understands our frailty and our struggles. And Lord thank you for the opportunity to place trust in you. In the midst of our insecurities and unbelief. And in the process to learn faith, and it is a process, Lord, but we need your help, we need your encouragement, and Father, I, 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 I just sense, I, I know you've been moving this morning, um, you've been speaking to many hearts, but I don't want the devil to come in and give someone a sense that they're beyond the point of no return when that's not the fact. And Father, I pray that uh, today, as we've heard Your voice, that we have not hardened our hearts, that we've broken the pattern, and we've returned to You to put our reliance in You. And so, Father, for every person who has responded in their hearts towards you this morning, this is my prayer, that you would grant each of them, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power through your Spirit deep in their inner being, that they would know truth in their innermost parts, they would know transparency before you, sincerity before you, And as they come honestly confessing their sin and failure, that they would know your cleansing and deep refining work. That they would know the reality of Jesus Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith. That they would feel His pleasure. And that we would give you pleasure through our repentance, through our faith, through our obedience. For you are worthy of our repentance and faith and obedience. And then, Father, being rooted and grounded in Your love, and we are as believers, I pray that each of them now would be able to enjoy and experience the length, death, breadth, and height of that love. And as they become secure in that love, that they would be able to love You as You ought to be loved. That they would be able to love their church family as it ought to be loved. That they would be able to love others. That they would be able to love a lost world. And then, Lord, fill them with Your fullness. Empty them of everything that is not like you. 
and fill them with Jesus. That as their lives are filled with Jesus, they would fill their homes with Jesus, their families, their workplaces, their neighborhoods, and wherever you would send them. And now, Lord, I'm going to trust as a pastor related to this flock that you are at work and that you are doing exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that I could even begin to ask for, think, or even imagine. And you're doing all of that according to that power that works in us, that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Lord, we believe you. We believe your love for us. We believe your power to renew and to revive and to restore. And we place our confidence in you. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.